Hey everyone, so this week I had the absolute pleasure and honor to be on the What Magic Is This podcast and talk about the Saints. And I have been a fan of Doug and What Magic Is This before I even started St. Anthony's Tongue. And I've always really admired the approach of the podcast. There's the esoteric, there's the magical, there's the mystical, there's the occult. However, Doug approaches it from both a spiritual standpoint, but then he also gets into the academic, the historical, the cultural, and I've always really admired that. And that's something I also try and do here at St. Anthony's Tongue. So really great conversation. We almost spoke for two hours just about the saints, and we cover a whole lot of stuff. Doug is also a big advocate and fan of the saints, so I actually also learned a lot just chatting with him over the past two hours. So I'm sharing the episode here, but please go and check out What Magic Is This? Subscribe, check out their Patreon, check out all of their social media. Uh, Doug does an incredible job. And Patreon and their Discord community is very active, so really, really recommend you check out the podcast, and I'll be sharing the full episode here. Thanks for listening, and next week I'll be back with an episode on the angels. So I hope you enjoy, and until next time. How are you? I am doing fantastic, and I am very excited to chat with you today. So I'm great. How are you? I'm good, man. Hey, have you heard about the saint who had taken to training animals? I have not. No? Okay. Well, he he taught his dog to heal. Oh, bad. Bad. Mm -hmm. That's that's the lamest. That's pretty Mm. much the lamest joke I've ever told. Awesome. (laughs) I don't know about that. Uh, but, 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 but thank you for saying so. Hey, everybody, welcome to What Magic Is This, a podcast about magic, the occult, the esoteric, the paranormal, the supernatural, and the weird. Oh, man, we have a show for everybody tonight. This might be maybe one of my most requested topics that I have on What Magic Is This. And truthfully, I found somebody that is able to talk about this that also has their own podcast. And so for today's show, we are going to be diving in on saints, saints themselves. And some of you might be like, what, saints? Like, come on, magic and saints. What is it like? Hold your horses, slide out of the saddle. Trust me, you are going to love this one. Hang in there. And uh, we are joined today by none other than W from the great podcast. And this is really a wonderful podcast. I love it. It is fantastic. It is called St. Anthony's tongue w man just before we we start getting into the questions here but i have to ask you like how did you first get interested in saints sure so you know i've i've gone through quite a bit of a spiritual journey and that could be a whole other podcast uh but really um there was a point where i wanted to involve ancestor veneration a little more in my practice and that started with you know kind of just having a corner of my altar have a novena candle and a rosary that i could just kind of look at uh, but eventually, um, you know, I started going through some stuff at work. And during that time, a lot of my friends, a lot of spiritual practitioners, especially people like J. Allen Cross, who has American Breweria, which is a lot of St. 
elements, uh, basically um, started getting involved in that. And I figured, hey, might as well light this novena candle. And ever since, uh, I really enjoyed it. And you know, there's there's a lot of it, which we'll talk about today. But one aspect is there is just the inherent esoteric side of saints. Saints alone, you are calling upon an ancient spirit using an ancient prayer. Um, however, there's also that spiritual side as well. There's there's elements of their life and their story that you can use in your personal life too. So uh, creating the podcast, I wanted to have part of it storytelling. So the intro, at least for the same episodes, are always a story. But then like, let's talk about you know, how this culture venerates this saint, how this one does. So yeah, it's, it's uh, really just been me hyper-focusing on saints and obsessing over them for the past year. Man, yeah, I, I share your obsession with saints as well. I, I was introduced to saints via a book called Fifth Business by Robertson Davies. He's a fairly famous author here in Canada, uh, passed away in the early 90s. But in his book, Fifth Business, uh, the main character is named Dunstable Ramsey. Uh, he basically fought in World War One, gets horribly injured and has uh, has a spiritual experience underneath the tree. He lives, his leg is amputated, but eventually um, a nurse in the hospital calls him Dunstan. And so he looks up about St. Dunstan, who is this wonderful uh, saint who uh, who many stories uh, involving the devil, including taking the devil's nose in, in some tongs. The character Dunstan then becomes uh, an authority on hagiology, which uh, we'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, yeah, he becomes an expert and teaches about saints. And throughout the novel Fifth Business, there's these uh, wonderful stories of saints that are in there. And I was just absolutely hooked. But since then, I have just been... I, I, my saint obsession started before any of my magic stuff and uh, yeah. it's, it's been a lifelong obsession and I, I still enjoy the saints to this day. Yeah, And, and same with me. I, I did grow up with, you know, my, my grandparents are Italian immigrants. So of course, whenever something's lost, you pray to St. Anthony, uh, you know, whenever you want someone to, to stop being rude to you, you ask St. Peter to lock them up. So I grew up with that. Um, however, then I would get kind of get into church and church was, even though I did, even though I'm from the deep South in the U S I did grow up with rather, progressive open church, but it was still very go to mass and come home. There wasn't really that aspect of let's sit down and pray to a saint. Um, so that was kind of bridging that gap. And I, I kind of found the mysticism that, you know, my grandparents and great grandparents kind of knew about, but also what I was kind of missing in my own spiritual journey. Definitely. Because we live in in somewhat sensitive times, I'm just going to start with a bit of a disclaimer here. And, and you're certainly welcome to add anything you want, uh, W as well. But I'm just going to say personally, I do not carry water for the Catholic Church at all. I find uh, churchianity, as well as most major institutions, which are based around a central idea and or belief, are for the most part, they do somewhat monstrous things. And uh, this is by no means exclusive to Catholicism. Uh, what we do need to realize uh, for people listening is that the Catholic Church is both the oldest and the largest continuously functioning institution in the world. They have that crown and they will keep that probably for a long time. But... As we know, there is currently a reckoning occurring within Catholicism, and I would urge everybody to do their own searching, as well as to sit down with how these beliefs and ideas, and particularly even those belonging to the saints, have been weaponized, as well as used as a tool of destruction for centuries, absolute centuries. So everyone who takes part in this and in magic in general, this is not just if you want to have focused Catholicism involved in your magic or saint veneration. Magic in general, you need to sit down, you need to think about how this kind of thing occurs. And each person, that is the work that they have to do. Do you have anything to, to say about this as well, Damia? 
There's a lot. And I do think that many people, many of my listeners, they, they do have some kind of some form of, of religious trauma, whether it's extreme or even minor. And honestly, what I found and heard is, you know, sitting down with these figures outside of a church context, you know, getting to know Mary, getting to know the saints, their own, it can be very healing. And also, you're going to start picking up on some of the inherent magic that is in Catholicism. And of course, there, there's a lot we can talk about about the church in general. And, and that's that's a whole other conversation. Uh, the church is 2 billion people. There have been a lot of evils, but there is room for everyone. So if you are looking to repair that trauma and you you want to go to, to mass again eventually or, or be more involved, uh, by all means, you are still welcome. Uh, but by and large, you know, a lot of my listeners and a lot of what I talk about is really just what can you find on your own um, and what can you find on your own? And that that's magic in general. We all kind of want something personal and spiritual and, you know, sitting down with the saints, I find is very healing. Absolutely. Very, very well said. Again, each one of us has work to do. Please do it. And that is your own path and your own journey that you have to go on. But let's jump right in here because I can't wait to talk about this. I've been so excited about this for weeks. I got derailed by, I got a flu and then I got a sinus infection. It was just like, oh my God, I really want to talk about this kind of stuff. And But uh, let's dive in. Big question, W, who and what are the saints? This is a very seemingly basic and simple question, but this is something that a lot of people get wrong because what a saint is is very very simple a saint is anyone that is in heaven period period end of story um when we die we do not become angels we become like the angels and there's some biblical passages i can throw in there um but what that means is what does an angel do an angel petitions on our behalf so when we die we join god's divine counsel and we assist in answering prayers as well so Anyone is a saint if they're in heaven. Your deceased loved ones, if you believe they're in heaven at least, they are a saint. Um, So very much it's similar and actually does have some roots in ancestor veneration, which we'll get into. Um, However, there is the formal canonization process by the church as well. Um, And that's kind of taken various shapes over the last 2000 years, Uh, but at least today and pretty pretty thoroughly out um essentially the the individual has some form of heroic life so the church um says that they can be explored for sainthood and then two miracles need to happen after their death and there's some caveats there now if you died a heroic death um it's only one miracle if you're a martyr it's only one miracle Um, we'll get into martyrs later but yeah there is an official process now for canonization Um, that means you have the paperwork but really it's it's anyone that's in heaven for sure. And something I think people need to understand is, is and this might seem a little bit uh, icky for some people, but we, while we are alive, are in the process of becoming saints. And so that's like a really cool thing to sit with, I think, for, for a lot of people. I've heard people describe saints, and uh, I, I believe it was Gordon White who, who, in my opinion, put it best. He basically says that saints are basically witches that got away with it. They perform miracles. They do healing. Some of them have flown. Like, they fly. Some of them yeah. actually fly. So uh, is this something you agree with? Are, are saints just witches that kind of got away with it? To an extent, yeah. And I mean, you know, the 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 essence of witchcraft and Catholicism is essentially it's only bad if it's not coming from God. So right. if the magic is coming from, from God and the divine, you can do anything. Honestly, if you want to read tarot and ask that the tarot divination comes from the Holy Spirit, it's all good. Um, and there's catechism math passages that back that up. Um, but yeah, I, I would say so. They are definitely magical people. And honestly, there are some saints that, yeah, people kind of kind of raise their eyebrows. Is this, is this the demonic or is this, is this God? So yeah, absolutely. 
For sure. What are the origins of saints? Where did, where did they come from? Sure. Um, so saints in an official capacity, I mean, veneration as we know it today, it began with the holy martyrs. So the early martyrs of the church, um, you started having parts of the liturgy where you would pray to those saints and have them pray for you. Um, but you kind of had these cults of saints happen almost instantly. St. John the Baptist was a big one. Um, recently, we found out in the Dead Sea Scrolls that there were two messiahs, a divine messiah, Jesus, and a priestly messiah, John the Baptist. And that actually did create a lot of drama for the early church. If you ever yeah. read the intro to the Gospel of John, you might wonder, why are three paragraphs talking about how why St. John the Baptist isn't Jesus? It's because of that. It's because a lot of the people thought he was. So you had that. Um, St. Anne was another one. So by and large, you, you kind of had it from the jump with, with just, you know, these people venerating and, and inter asking ancestors and martyrs and, and individuals to intercede for us. For sure. Is there, is there considered like the first saint? Is is uh, The name St. Stephen usually comes up because it's like 36 AD, something yeah. around there. Yeah. Yeah. St. Stephen was the first martyr. The first saint was actually St. Dismas. So that is the saint, that is the individual who was crucified next to Christ on the cross. So Jesus was crucified in between two, um, they call them thieves, but honestly, you didn't get crucified if you were a thief. You got crucified if you were a political enemy. Um, so if you were starting an uprising, so it's really, they call him Dismas the good thief, but it's really Dismas the you know political hero probably, because he probably also spoke out against the emperor. Uh, but there were two thieves on both sides of Christ. One of them mocked Christ. Dismas basically said, you know, we're just like him. Jesus, remember me when I enter heaven. And Jesus said something like, you know, verily I say unto thee. I don't know. That sounds like something you'd say. Right. Verily I say unto thee, uh, today you will be, today you will be in heaven with my father. So Dismas was technically the first person in heaven. So he is technically the first saint. And by the way, that opens questions. Are you saying that everyone before Jesus was not in heaven? You can check out my series on hell and the demonic for that. Um, they're really early and I'm getting a little bit off topic, but they're really early um, atonement theories, which essentially say that some souls were trapped in hell. Christ died to go to hell, defeat Satan, destroy hell, and so God can even reign in hell. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of fun stuff there with the saints, too, because Dismas and St. John the Baptist also had some roles in hell in early uh, early Christianity, which is fun. Yeah, there's... There's also a lot of people I've heard recently trying to, I mean, Dismas, yeah, is, is a big one, but they're trying to make uh, Thecla, who's just an extraordinary figure. They're saying that Thecla is actually the first saint, even before uh, before St. Stephen. Do you, do you buy into this at all? or uh, Potentially. Uh, potentially. You have to understand the early church is nothing like it is today. Uh, essentially, various villages what we would call parishes now had various bishops in two villages might believe two very different things and it wasn't until probably the council of trent that we started consolidating a lot of the beliefs um so technically yeah i mean one kind of village might have revered this one entity as a saint and another didn't um and there were a lot of there was a lot of headbutting and that's why there were a lot of councils so yeah potentially yeah. Thecla, everybody look up Thecla. It's, it's very fun. Baptized by being thrown in with the 
sharks. Well, it says seals in the uh, in the Colosseum, but nice. very interesting. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Historically, it looks like the cult of the saints preceded the church by a bit. Now, this is something that you hear quite a lot these days for people, and I'm going to say people that don't do a ton of research, is that they say like, the cult of the saints is merely just paganism by like a different name. They just did paganism and then they made them into saints and that's how it occurs. But for you, what aspects was the cult of the saints pagan? Sure. So you did have some of that. You had a lot of previous pagan holidays and rituals and then saint lore started enveloping them. Um, I do think to what extent is a little bit overblown sometimes, especially in the holidays. Uh, but it definitely happened. Um, the first one that comes to mind is St. Lucy. So if you know about St. Lucy, a very, well, if you know St. Lucy, she's holding two eyeballs in her hand. Yes. I have an episode on St. Lucy. It's fun. Uh, very creepy, spooky saint. But her story is very simple. It's it's like a paragraph long. She was in an arranged marriage. She didn't want to. They, they killed her, period. However, in Scandinavia, on her feast day, uh, which happens to be the old winter solstice, uh, girls dress up like St. Lucy and they walk around night with candles. Now, why do they do that? Because the old solstice used to be the great hunt, which was when the longest night of the year, demons and spirits and evil gods would be ravishing the villages. So Odin or some other you know, good god would come in and, and wipe them out um, and shine a light. Um, so essentially what happened with St. Lucy is St. Lucy's the new Odin. She's coming out with her candle. Um, you also have um, St. Nicholas. Good old St. Nick is the patron of oceans and waterways. He's the patron saint of a lot of European seaside cities. Why? Why is a German saint a, the patron of seaside cities? Well, he looks a lot like Poseidon. So a lot of, a lot of people think they just painted over a Poseidon picture with St. Nicholas. And there's actually stories of Poseidon uh, saving sinking ships by stuffing the cracked fish. And later, St. Nicholas did that. So there's a lot of that. You also have Sebastian, um, St. Sebastian, who was who survived all the arrows in him. That's an interesting one because the arrows likely were indicative of Apollo, but it was a statement. It was a statement that he could survive Apollo's arrows. Um, you have that in the New Testament as well with Jesus. Jesus turned water into wine. Bacchus turned water into wine. Is it stealing it? Or is it trying to make the statement of Jesus is just as powerful as Bacchus? You can see it either way, but you definitely have that lore going in there. And then my favorite, which just passed, um, is um, St. John's Eve, St. John the Baptist feast day, yes. especially in Italy. There's so much, I have a series on St. John the Baptist that just went live, but his feast day, much like Lucy, is the old summer solstice. So you have all sorts of crazy things, a lot, of, a lot tied with herbalism. Um, herbs are supposed to have more magical properties on his feast day. So you make all these tinctures and potions. So yeah, that was likely some kind of magical pagan root and they just threw it into, into John the Baptist. Yeah, very cool. St. Bridges is another one that gets thrown around yeah. quite, quite a bit where it's just like, there's there's a lot of people that are just like, ah, St. Bridget was actually just like the, the God Bridget. It's like, well, a lot of people were probably named Bridget. Like it's, there's, <laughs> like it, it was a God and a lot of people were probably named, but yeah, there's, there's inheritance. I think the better way of thinking about it is that, yeah, there's a lot of inheritances. There's a lot of debate as well. There's a lot of debate between, uh, between people. Uh, let's get technical here, W. So there are, according to the Catholic Church, only two types of saints. There's martyrs and confessors. So what do these two things mean? So a martyr is pretty straightforward. You died in the name of Christianity or your faith in some way. So most of the early apostles, aside from John, beloved, they, they were killed for being Christians. 
they were martyred. A confessor has a little bit more of a varied history. Initially, confessor meant you were persecuted, but not killed. Maximus, the confessor, is a good example of that. I believe he was writing letters and um, they wanted him to stop writing letters. So they think they cut off his hand or something. Yeah, uh, yeah that's <laughs> nice. Uh, but to, but today, uh, today, confessor can mean anyone who confesses or professes the faith. So they lived a heroic life. Technically, two types of saints. But if anybody cracks open something like the Golden Legend or even just from a distance takes a look at, at saints, we also have what are called BVMs or Blessed Virgin Marys. Uh, we have Old Testament figures like Moses and Noah as saints. We have royal saints. Um, one of the ones oh, I'm trying to remember if it's which Charles it is. He was one of the crusaders. He was made a saint. He was a royal saint. Um, we even have a dog saint, which is saint. Oh, my gosh. Um, trying to remember. Gwyneth That's the one. Yes. I want to say Gwendolyn. Yes. No, St. Gwyneth And then there's thousands of folk saints. So ha if there's only martyrs and confessors, what's going on with all of these other kinds of saints? Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, essentially, with it's believed they're in heaven is the short answer. Um, so royal saints, same thing. Uh, and you also have to understand, especially early Christianity Catholicism, becoming a saint was also a status symbol. Uh, you would people would pretty much pay or petition that somebody in their family could become a saint. And then, yeah, uh, folk saints are interesting. They are, um, and I think we can get into folk saints a little bit more, but essentially it's just any saint that is not canonized by the church. Um, so that would be uh, how Guinefort uh, came about. And yes, that one would be one that the church does not want you to partake in, but there still was definitely a cult around the dog saint. Wonderful. Yeah, actually, sorry, I got it completely wrong. It's Louis the Ninth who was the uh, the Crusader Crusader saint. Anyways, yes. yeah, there we go. Yeah, um, St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans is named after St. Louis. That's right. There you go. So another kind of saint that I think is pretty uh, interesting and uh, one that I think a lot of people should look into, particularly when they want to see things like how a pagan worldview gets involved in something like the cult of the saints are Desert Fathers. So Desert Fathers, what are they and why are they important? Um, Desert Fathers are interesting. They were the first monastics um, and mothers, fathers and mothers. Um, and mothers, yes. Saint, Saint Mary of Egypt was also in there and some more. Um, they were kind of these early um, Christian figures that just went out into the to the caves to, to pray and worship God all day. And I think it's interesting because one, you do have some tie-ins with various beaded prayers. If you're familiar uh, with the Jesus prayer, hesychasm, which is still very common in Eastern Orthodoxy and Eastern Catholicism. It's essentially a knotted rope where you pray a certain prayer. Um, usually it's Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me on every uh, knot. Well, that does have some connotations in paganism, Hinduism, and more. It's essentially Jaka meditation and Hinduism. So they would do that just with, with um, Christian figures. Uh, but what I like about them is it showcases the individual aspects of Christianity. You know, you, you kind of think of a good Christian meeting all these criteria, going to church every Sunday. Uh, well, these, these, these guys lived in caves. They didn't get the Eucharist every Sunday, uh, but they were devoted to God. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really interesting uh, contemplative practice. And they gave us a lot of good contemplative writings on kind of how to experience God firsthand, which I think is really beautiful. Definitely. Yeah. It, it started in Egypt and perhaps one of these days I might do a, a Patreon episode about how this strange Neoplatonic 
worldview battling demon these these desert fathers and mothers thought they were battling demons in the desert saint anthony the great or saint anthony of egypt is different saint anthony than the one that the show is named after there's a lot of saints share the same names everybody it's it's there's a lot of saints there's i'll just say it from the get-go for people if saints are interesting to you there is no comprehensive list of saints that exists there's so many of them there's hundreds of thousands it's it's crazy but anyways saint anthony egypt a lot of the desert fathers and mothers were all from egypt and particularly alexandria and very strange worldview that existed there and they're they were daily martyrs they were starving themselves a lot of them were starving themselves to death and that's uh something again probably going to it a little bit in a patreon episode but uh yeah it's it's incredibly fascinating so say people like uh, myself and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast, born in North America. You take a trip, you go over to Europe, start looking at some of the uh, the churches there, beautiful old churches, and they'll be like, oh, you have to see the relics. There's these relics here. One of them might include it is the jaw and tongue of St. Anthony. These are called relics. So what are relics and why are they so important to the cult of the saints? Relics are the quintessential spooky Catholicism that we all know and love. Yes. Um, you have three classes of relics. The first is a body part. So it is a body part of a saint that is a first class relic. A second class relic is uh, something the saint owned. Um, so a good example is uh, Padre Pio's gloves would be one. Um, you often see, you know, fabric that the saint usually uh, wore or had. And the third is anything that is touched to a first or second class relic. So essentially, saints are believed to be pure and holy and have a spiritual energy. Um, so even after their death, their body still has that purity and divine vibe, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, so that's why when people take a pilgrimage, um, there's a lot of healing that usually happens at these um, at these relic sites. And um, you can easily get third class relics. Um, there's various websites, they'll sell you relic oil, they'll sell you relic cards, and these are just cards and oil that have been held up to, to various relics. Dust, dust from St. Martin's yes. tomb. Yeah. <laughs> from St. Martin's knee bone. That's right. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah, the, the relics are something like, again, probably could do a whole episode about relics alone. So relics, again, there's, there's some spooky elements to the saints, but uh, I wanna talk about a, a figure called uh, Julian the Apostate. So he was, he was emperor of, of Rome. He's kind of considered like the last pagan emperor, uh, truthfully. Um, he was rather contemptuous of early Christians and he called them necroi which means those who hang around at graves of the dead. So this begs the question, is the cult of the saints just necromancy, plain and simple? Usually my short answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll give you the longer answer. Um, it, it depends on what we refer to as necromancy. Technically necromancy would be calling upon the dead for some kind of secret or occult knowledge. So for fortune telling, Ouija boards would be more necromancy um, or forcing a spirit to do your bidding. So calling upon a dead spirit for help, there's some, there's some gray area. However, and this goes back to what the saints are, the saints petition on our behalf. Um, so they are just a messenger for us to the divine. Um, so they're just going up to, to God and asking for favors for us. Um, so we're not really necessarily asking the saints to do it directly or the dead spirit to do it directly. We're asking for their assistance and it's still coming from God. So like I said before, it's not really witchcraft if it comes from the divine. And 
with saints, the mechanics are more so a messenger to God. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my favorite stuff is, is always looking at early Christianity and the stories that people have who were around at the time, writers like people like Julian, but also other writers, early Christians, they were freaking everybody out. They were carrying around body parts. There's the story of uh, the martyrdom of Polycarp where he was, he was burned. And as soon as the Roman soldiers left after the burning of Polycarp, the Christians would come and dig through the ashes for bones and bits of bones, which they said were, were more precious than gold, more delightful than jewels. And this Rome was a pretty cosmopolitan place and this freaked everybody out. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of that. Well, I think it's funny because uh, I have relic oil from St. John the Baptist. Cool. It's it's supposedly been held to the head of St. John the Baptist. There are six heads of St. John the Baptist that yes. exist. So either he had six heads or someone's lying. Um, <laughs> and then also, um, there's, there's so much. There is the, um, for anyone that's a folk, Italian folk magic practitioner, there's the St. Sixtus prayer to to cure, remove the evil eye. And St. Sixtus, um, his whole thing was he was uh, moving relics with a calvary through a plague-ridden town. So he prayed using the relics. I'm not sure which relic it was, but he prayed using the relics to cure the whole town. So his calvary didn't catch the plague and it worked. Um, so yeah, there's there's so much about relics. It's, it's, all, it's all spooky and morbid and I love it. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it's, it's really wonderful. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of necromancy. That's pretty much where most of my leaning comes from. And it's fairly easy to take a look at, at saints and, uh, and, and the magic of the saints and be like, well, there's, there's things here. There's, there's definite threads to pull on here for sure. Yeah. Why was the cult of the saints as well as saints themselves, a bit of a thorn in the side of the early church? And, and is it still to this day? Yeah, so I think what you just said hits on that, Doug. It's it's um, people were like, oh, these Catholics are really spooky. And like I said earlier, um, especially in early Christianity, I mean, there will be opposing villages and bishops that had two very opposing views. Um, so I think the thorn wasn't always necessarily saint veneration as a whole. It was which saints is this person worthy or not? That I think was kind of the um, kind of the the issue there. Yeah, because the community of saints has always been kind of an ideal. Is it a thorn today? I would say largely no. Um, And we're going to talk about full Catholicism and folk saints later, uh, but a lot of what traditional Catholics do is very folksy. And yeah, some bishops, opposing bishops, like like in years before, centuries before, some opposing bishops may, you know, turn their nose up at it. Um, But no, I mean, things like burying a St. Joseph uh, statue in your yard to sell a house. um, That's a very folksy thing to do, uh, burying four St. Medals. So not at all. You're, you're going to get a thorn in your side if there is kind of big devotion to a folk saint. So Santa Muerte, which is more so a, a folk deity, yeah. um, Jesus Mel's Verde. Um, so, you know, these these large cults, um, that's definitely going to be a thorn in the side. But even then, sometimes priests kind of turn a blind eye to that if it's a big part of the local community. Yeah, definitely. I think for also because I'm so fascinated by early Christianity, um, the first five, six centuries of it, a lot of Jewish writers were basically being like, you guys say that you're monotheistic and yet you have this giant orchestra of saints, which you are almost considering almost like God, not God, but like God. It's like there's some, I believe the word that was used was uh, Hellenism 
which would be like <laughs> Greek pagan Hellenism. Yeah, um, and to not go down too much of a rabbit hole, but early Christianity, Second Temple Judaism to be specific, there was the belief that Yahweh was over a divine council. And on that council were what we call angels now, but the translation is more deities or gods. Um, you know, there was the gods of the nations, some of them fell. So uh, Christianity is always, especially if you look at the Second Temple Jewish roots, has always been more so a pantheistic religion. Um, there's Yahweh, which is at the top, uh, but there's always been helpers. That's why I'm, I'm never quick to say, you know, uh, certain elements of paganism are wrong, because we do not know if that pagan god was just, you know, a part of, you know, Yahweh's divine council. And we are to join that divine council as well as saints eventually. Very well put. Yeah, I love it. So a word that you used earlier, pilgrimage. There's another word that uh, people might come across when they look into saints, which is patronage. So what are these two concepts and how do they help explain the the spread of the cult of the saints? Yeah. So pilgrimage is, is pretty straightforward. Obviously, um, you know, when you want to pay devotion to a saint, usually if the saint does something for you and you want to, you know, kind of give them a gift, give them an offering, sometimes you do a, a pilgrimage or uh, vice versa. If you want to be healed or something, you'll make a pilgrimage. Um, the two most visited pilgrimage, religious pilgrimage sites in the world are um, Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, Mount Tepeyac in Mexico City, and then um, St. Padre Pio's shrine in Giovanni Rotondo, I'm not, I, I'm, uh, Petra Lucina. And yes, yeah, so many miracles are, are attributed there. There was a woman recently in Louisiana who had MS and she went to, to pray at uh, Padre Pio's site and then you know she starts getting visions and dreams and her whole house starts smelling roses um she had dreams that padre pio's stigmatic hands were placed on her head and then she was cured this was two years ago right. um, so yeah pilgrimages are really uh, powerful experiences as, as far as patronages go um it's interesting um it's funny first off because uh, the way the church picks the patronages is, is also always kind of hilarious. For instance, um, St. Bartholomew was skinned alive. So he's the patron saint of skin disorders. Right. It's, it's like, it's, you know, St. Lucy had her eyes ripped out. So she was the patron saint of eye issues. Um, so the church does um, attribute certain, you know, specialties to these saints. Um, the best analogy I've heard is, is a lawyer analogy. So all saints can assist you with all things. They all can petition on your behalf. However, it's like a lawyer. Um, if you get hit by an 18-wheeler, you're not going to want to go to the entertainment attorney or the copyright attorney. You're going to want to go to the personal injury attorney. Right. So, <laughs> if you, so if you're looking for a new job, you can definitely pray to St. Lucy, you know, St. Expedite. However, you know, St. Joseph is is the patron of, you know, workers. So you might want to go to him. But what I always tell people about patronages is look deeper. I think, you know, many spiritual and magical practitioners, we always want the recipe book. We want the grimoire. We want a step-by-step -step, uh, way to approach things. But it's so powerful when you're researching a saint on your own and something pops out at you. One of the, the most powerful novenas I had, and it's the first episode of my podcast, uh, was with St. Benedict. I was I just got a promotion at my job and I needed to create a lot of order. Um, I needed to, to make some big changes and I'm, I was already making enemies. And I just got a pack of saint cards and it, Joseph wasn't in there. So I was like, who else can I pray to? And I just kept getting drawn to the imagery of Benedict. And then I read his story and he's the patron of exorcists and cave dwellers. So that's yeah. not me uh, <laughs> at all. 
So uh, I, I well now I do some deliverance work, but you know I'm not an exorcist, I'm not a monk, I'm not a cave dweller. But I read his story and I found out that he is known for creating order in organization and monasteries so much that he had people wanting to kill him. So I'm like, hmm, this makes sense for me. So yeah, I had an incredible and very successful uh, novena session with with Benedict, and that's what I always recommend. Yeah, look at the patronages, but you know dive into the lives of the saints you mentioned the saints who fly earlier uh that would be there's a few but joseph of cupertino is one yes so the patron saint of traveling is saint christopher yep however um let's say you're you're taking a flight well you might have remembered that saint joseph can fly so let's pray to him and i love that i love when people come to me and say you know hey i read this about a saint so he can he be used for x y and z like absolutely um so to me that that's putting more of a, a personal spin on the um, the work you're doing with that saint because something caught you for a reason. So that saint that probably wants you to establish that relationship. So patronages are fun. Sometimes they're silly, but there's <laughs> so much you can uncover by just diving into the biography. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I love what you said there, W, about we should try to step away from like these really tight categorizations because yeah, you can pray to any saint for anything but be crafty be cunning with uh with with who you're appealing to and and a lot of times and i don't know if you'll agree with me with this one a lot of times uh you don't get to pick the saint the saint picks you strangely it's just something will happen you'll read something or some name will keep coming up and it's like well i guess i just just go yeah. here yeah um that happened to me fairly recently um it's happened to me a, a good bit but it happened to me with saint therese of Lisieux. Mm. I um my my Patreon there's a tier where they get free not free it's part of the membership but they get monthly gifts so I just bought a random lot of just Catholic antique things just bags of stuff I didn't even know what was in them well I was helping a friend cleanse the space so I was going to go in with my holy water my deliverance prayers and I was drawn to pick a saint card up so I I took out the the box of saint cards I just opened it um, that I was going to give my Patreons patrons and I just pull out a St. Therese card. I'm like, okay, this, why not? Let, let's try it. It was a, it was a woman that I was doing the cleanse for. She's a very known uh, female saint. So I do it. And it was an incredibly beautiful um, cleanse that I did. And the prayer on the back of the card was just lovely. Um, it was about, you know, St. Therese, uh, pick a flower in heaven for me and bring it down to earth. to So the radiance and all this will cleanse the space. And I was like, I didn't know that that even said that. So then I go, home and then i have packages for my patrons um sitting there i open them up and there's four or five saint therese of lazoo rosaries there you go. that's pretty rare yeah. you don't really have a saint therese of lazoo rosary no. um and then you know then she started coming up on people were one of somebody i followed on instagram was at their at her shrine that day um so yeah uh, things like that happen so I, I put her on my altar and i prayed to her for a few things just you know pray for me and, and look after me yeah and that happens a lot and, and I, I love it when it does and sometimes you try to force a real i wouldn't say relationship but you try to force you know getting to know and getting comfortable with a saint it doesn't work and then someone someone will come up and smack you across the face absolutely yeah it's, it's wonderful when it happens some people might have noticed that uh, while we were talking that we've mentioned a lot of names of, of women and some people might be surprised like wow there's a lot of female saints in here robert bartlett the author of uh, why can the dead do such great things he puts the figure at about 15 percent of saints are female again no definitive list of saints so those numbers are always going to fluctuate but how is it that there's so many women venerated as saints um women have always been a very important factor in the early church unfortunately 
Protestantism and Puritanism started to eat away at that. Uh, but if you look at the early church, the myrrh bearers, uh, the, the, the people that found Christ risen were all women. The women were the only ones brave enough to sh show up to the crucifixion. You know, women were in, at Pentecost. Uh, there were women, early disciples. Um, and then today, uh, Pope Francis's kind of core group uh, are, are made up of women now, which is, is, is a really big move. So women have always always led an important role in the church. Um, of course, um, some of you know the most famous monastics are women, Carmelite sisters, all of uh, St. Clair. Um, so there's really a big tradition. And honestly, I think the women saints have done so much for a much more palatable form of theology to me. Um, it's it's, and I'm not saying you know not all of them are, are philosophical as many are. But you look at um, Saint Hildegard, you look at uh, Teresa of Avila. It's yeah. very much. It's not so much you know ontological argument. Instead, it's here's how to pray. Here are the stages of prayer. So yeah, there, there's been just a lot of incredible women in Catholicism, and of course, um, veneration of of the Blessed Virgin Mary is so important to Catholics. And um, while, you know, some other Christian sects do not believe in her divinity, you know, uh, Catholics have always had that motherly devotion, whether that is in the Blessed Virgin Mary, or it's looking at some other female figure as a type of mother figure spiritually. Definitely. Yeah, very well put. I love it. So you just mentioned St. Benedict. Uh, St. Benedict founded an order called the Benedictine Months. They were known as the Black Black brothers, black monks. Um, anyways, yeah. they were monks and people know what monks are, but not a lot of people are familiar with monasticism or maybe they do because they drink certain kinds of beer that are made by these monks <laughs> or something like that. But but what is monasticism and how does it tie in with the saints? Um, so there's there's various levels. The two people probably think of are the Benedictines or some branch of Benedictines and then the Franciscans. Yeah. And they're two kind of different. Um, so the Benedictines came first. St. Benedict's incredible figure. We'll talk about him in our, our little lightning round later of saints. Sure. <laughs> but um, he's an interesting figure. And essentially, it's a life of devotion. So it's it's the Desert Fathers. Just now we have a bigger monastery and in the West now because the Desert Fathers were, were in Egypt. Um, so they pray all day and they pray for people. You know, some lore in the middle ages too, is, is, you know, the, the, the world's being kept together because we have, you know, monks all over the, the planet praying for us right now. Right. Um, but it's, it's a lot of contemplation. It's a lot of prayer. It's a lot of getting to know God personally and a lot of beautiful writing comes from it. And I think how it's important to the saints and it's important to Christian and Catholicism as a whole is the laity started to adapt personal practices, practices and liturgical practices from the monks. So the monks would pray the liturgy of the hours, which is a psalm every day, and then uh, certain prayers. Um, well, the lay people would try to sync their prayers with the monks, whether that was through what's called a pater nostet accord or our father accord, um, or later a rosary. It's a really beautiful tradition. So but Benedictines are mostly cloistered, and that just means they, they rarely leave the monastery. St. Francis came along and was essentially and, and by the way, they they accept visitors in the Benedictine yeah. monastery. So they're still very, you know, open to service. But um, the friars, they just live out in the community. They're, you know, like friar talk in Robin Hood, right? right. Like they're always out there preaching, being jovial. Uh, they're more social. So that Franciscans were more of a, a, a twist on kind of the more hardline Benedictines. Yeah. I just want to throw this out here because uh, my girlfriend and I listened to it last night. There's an episode of St. Anthony's Tongue 
that uh, W put out about St. Francis that is just awesome. And to get to learn a little bit more about St. Francis is such an interesting character. People at the time literally thought he was incarnation of Jesus Christ himself. Like yeah. he was an incredible figure. And uh, the Canticle yeah. of the Sun also just blows my mind. It's the best. Yeah. And, and one St. Francis that I think is what I was trying to do with that episode is let's shine some more light on Francis because I think people paint him very one-dimensionally. Yeah. Uh, I think mainline traditional Catholics, you know, he's the birdbath saint, right? Like right, he's the yeah. in your garden. Uh, <laughs> and then um, kind of the more, even the more mystical people, I think they really harp on his almost animistic view of God. And that's incredible. That's one of my favorite things too. Uh, but he was a soldier yeah. um, and he, he likely had PTSD. So again, now that you know he experienced trauma, if you're experiencing anxiety and trauma, he's a saint you can go to. He was, you know, he had issues with his family and was kicked out. Um, he had a big aversion to lepers, but eventually came over that fear. So there's a lot that you can use in your own spirituality with him. And yeah, his theology is just beautiful. It was very much open. And you still see that today with so many Franciscans. You know, they're, they're not here to debate you philosophically. No. Um, they're here to wash your feet and make sure you're fed, which I think is, is beautiful. Absolutely. So I have to ask a question because people might come across this word and it might seem a little bit interesting to them, but what is a hagiography? Sure. Um, that is a biography or study of a saint. All right. So what then is something like the, the golden legend, which was for a time it was more popular than the Bible. There's yeah. so many copies of it that we have from, from the 13th century onward. Sure. The golden legend and various other texts are essentially the lives of the saints. And why they were more popular than the Bible is for a few reasons. I think by and large, um, early Christianity and early people, uh, the literacy was not always there, but you can always have an oral tradition of a story, right? So a story of this saint, a story of that saint. And the Bible you know, even today, you know, you're going to have 16 different translations and even commentary are going to be, you know, pushing some doctrinal view down your throat, which is difficult. I was talking about someone with that this morning. It's like, I can recommend biblical commentary, but even when within Catholicism, there's the mainline view, but that's not the only view. So the Bible can just be a mess, uh, but people can learn from biographies and learn from short stories about saints' lives. And I think that's still very much applicable today. Yeah, if if people pick up something like the Golden Legend, it's it's wonderful. Any hagiographies are, are really quite fantastic. The two kind of like most important hagiographies or kind of like kicked it off were uh, St. Martin of Tours, as well mm -hmm. as um, Anthony of Egypt or Anthony the Great. If you read those two and then any of the other uh, stories within something like the Golden Legend, they seem to like follow a certain kind of path. And it's, it's in a way, when we look back at it historically, it's like they were trying to get us to the people that would, would know about these stories, less so read them because a lot of them people couldn't read, but these stories were in a way, almost like morality plays for, for the people to try and follow the lives of the saints, because again, we're all becoming saints. So we should follow these stories. I, I, I just find it incredibly interesting. And the golden legend, I don't know about you, but I just think the golden legend is some of the most awesome stuff you can read. Yeah, it really is. And just that time period in the lore and the stories, they're just, they're fantastic. Definitely. Yeah. 
Highly recommend. Everybody grab a copy of uh, The Golden Legend. Please do. There's there's a lot of them out there. Penguin put out a kind of a selected writings one. Grab it. It's fun. Read it in the toilet. Read it wherever. Read it. It's, it's, it's great to have. Ah. So how do saints become intrinsically tied to something like the calendar? And, and why was tying saints to calendars and days and feasts useful? Yeah, so the liturgical calendar is interesting. I get questions about the liturgical calendar a lot. And by and large, if you want to use the liturgical calendar, at least in a magical perspective, it does work. Um, there are things like certain rosary mysteries on certain days. The calendar as a whole, uh, actually, which is very esoteric and witchy, but it's commonly practiced in Catholicism. Certain feast days, certain days of the year have more power. Uh, epiphany, you get your holy water blessed on Epiphany. It has like triple the efficacy. Um, right. But as far as the liturgical calendar, it makes a lot of sense if you're praying the Liturgy of the Hours daily, which is the church's daily prayer. And within the Liturgy of the Hours, they have um, certain prayers and certain kind of mini rituals to the saints, whether that's a, a brief clip of their life. It's usually a prayer to them. But by and large, it's, it's just a day of remembrance. And within the mass, we are, again, asking that saint to pray for us, much as we would at our, at our altar doing a novena. So yeah, having it in the liturgical calendar is just kind of a, a larger way for everyone to get together and ask for the saint to intercede for us. Definitely. And in a way, also, it helped a lot of people because there there are such a, an, an enormous amount of saints, but a lot of people didn't have the calendar, the Gregorian right. calendar. that we, So it would allow for them to know certain parts of the year, like, okay, so we, this feast day or feast week, and we got to do this because this is when the crops start to do certain things. It, is, yeah. it was tied in with life. It was so intrinsically tied to the life of, of yeah. That's a really good point. That goes back to what I said about like St. John the Baptist feast day being the old summer solstice. That's right. Um, yeah, it, it definitely, you know, ties into certain feasts and crops and whatnot. It's very true. Definitely. Yeah. So let's get into a big one here. What oh. is a folk saint? And for that matter, what is folk Catholicism? Well, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna do the, the lowest hanging fruit first before I sure. create controversy. All right. Um <laughs> A folk saint is, like I said, it's anyone that um, is not officially canonized by the church. And there's there's various categories you can look at. Uh, For instance, I just did an episode on Father Michael Judge. Father Michael Judge is an incredible Franciscan priest. He was uh, the first victim, the first found victim in 9-11. He died while praying for the firefighters and the building collapsed on top of them. There have already been miracles in his life and after his death that have been attested to him. But for one reason or another... Um, and I have my conspiracies, uh, the Franciscan order had, has not wanted to move forward with a canonization, even though the Vatican said, yeah, let's do it. Um, so he's a folk saint because he has a lot of people that pray to him, that have some kind of devotion to him. Um, however, he might be canonized one day. Blessed Solanus Casey, he is now venerable. He needs one more. That's another American saint. Check him out. He needs one more miracle. Uh, but for a while, he was kind of a folk saint because the canonization process wasn't open. So there's the practical ones. However, most of the time we talk about folk saints, we think of saints that the church likely is not going to open cause of canonization for, uh, either because they have or have not lived a you know a, a saintly life, or there's just not enough information. Um, Jesus Malverde uh, yeah. comes to mind in in Mexico. Uh, Mexico Mexico has a lot of folk saints. Uh, Santa Muerte, as I said before. So those are ones that you know the, the bishops and the priests. Um, it's going to be a thorn in their side. So those are kind of folk saints too. But yeah, it's it's any saint that's not canonized that has, you know, still has a following around them. 
so saints that were part of uh, were canonized but then were later repealed mm-hmm. or taken away would you consider those folk saints no um so the saints many of them were not necessarily repealed they 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 just were removed from the calendar right correct. um and, and there are actually some churches that will still have some of them on there, even within Catholicism. I love the traditional Latin mass, even though the people and I probably see things very differently politically and socially, just the Latin mass is such an inc- incredible ceremony, uh, but they have a lot of the old saints still on theirs because they still follow an old calendar. Um, so yeah, I would still definitely consider them true saints. I mean, St. Christopher was removed from the calendar, uh, but you can you can still get a statue and you'll still see him hanging up in, in, uh, in churches all around. Take a cab in Mexico, every single, every single cab in Mexico has got a statue of St. Christopher. It's it's insane. At least the areas that I, yeah, it's it's really wonderful. Yeah, um, yeah all the all the men in my family, um, they had St. Christopher medals that they wore all the time. And I'm not really sure why. They were all fishermen, so you'd think it would be Peter, but uh, I guess right. it was just, I guess it was just Christopher for them. All right, so what is folk Catholicism then? All right. Take it right. All right. <laughs> okay. So, folk Catholicism is very fascinating, and we're seeing we're seeing it become something in front of our own eyes. Um, however, folk Catholicism is an academic and anthropological umbrella term that is used to define any practice that is done by people. However, it's not endorsed by the Catholic Church. Now, people hear that and they think okay, well, I'm doing something that's really sticking it to Pope Francis. Right. Um, but here's the thing. Just because something is not endorsed does not mean it's forbidden. Um, for instance, I'll give you examples of folk Catholicism that might surprise you. Uh, confirmation names and confirmation saints are folk Catholic. There's nothing in the formal rite of confirmation that says you need to have a new name when you're confirmed. In fact, that's a controversial one because some Catholics would say, well, you're baptized under one name, one name why can you do one? Um, so that's an example of folk Catholicism, albeit it's a very mainstream one. Right. Again, because we're using the definition of an academic anthropological term. Another is godparents, actually. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> godparents are folk Catholic. Um, there is a part in the uh, baptismal rite where it's recommended you have two witnesses, but this concept of having spiritual parents that help raise you spiritually in some cultures, if anything happens to your parents, they raise you 100% full Catholic. But again, it's something very common. Oh. Um, yeah. Huh. And then you have more esoteric leaning things that I would consider tried and true, you know, full Catholicism, um, but it's still practiced by mainline Catholics, um, you know, burying four St. Saint, Saint Benedict medals in your yard to keep out evil. The St. Lucy candle uh, ritual we talked about earlier, a uh, St. Joseph's table is a big one in New Orleans, New York, some places in Canada as well, uh, and of course, Italy. And that's where you have a big feast for St. Joseph, um, and certain things on the table have certain powers, essentially. So if you're a single woman and you take a lemon home with you, you're going to find a husband. Uh, if you have a fava, there's fava beans on the table. If you take a fava bean home and put it in your wallet, your wallet will never be empty. Right. Most time there's nails on the table and you nail them into a doorway, evil doesn't enter your home. So all of those things are not endorsed by the church, but they are folk practices. That That is how those people, you know, really showcase and put forth their Catholicism. Um, so a lot of folk Catholicism is just Catholicism. Um, however, you know, that since it's an academic umbrella term, it was never really meant to 
defined personal practices. So you also have syncretism. So voodoo, uh, where you're you're not really praying to St. Peter, you're praying to Papa Legba, but you're using a St. Peter statue. That's technically under that umbrella of folk Catholicism. Right. Uh, to me, it's just voodoo, though. Uh, you have, and you do have some cultures of the Philippines and in Mexico, especially where there might be an indigenous spirit that there are bigger ceremonies for. Um, so that's that's still folk Catholicism. By and large, a lot of what we call folk Catholicism is fairly traditional. And what, what we're seeing today is a lot of people kind of, and listeners, please listen to everything I say before you get mad at me. Um, <laughs> a lot of what we're seeing today is people having like um, Hecate and the Virgin Mary on the altar and praying to them both and calling it full Catholicism. Now, that's the, the spiritual practitioner in me is saying that's beautiful, that's wonderful. However you commune with God is great. The cultural anthropological history nerd in me is saying, is that full Catholicism or is that Christo-paganism? Right. In, in either way, cool. Um, so it's it's still a, a kind of an evolving practice. We're, we're seeing what it really means, but um, really the simple definition is it's these rituals that aren't that it's just how people are expressing their Catholicism, and it's definitely taking on new forms now. And those new forms are beautiful and valid, but there are a lot of these witchy practices that people might think are underground, but they're very common. Yeah, definitely. When people say the word folk, I've always been a little bit like iffy because sometimes it makes it, it feels like people are talking down at the practices and stuff like that. That's and, true. And for myself, it's like, hey, guess what? This is like we have ridiculous amounts of archaeological evidence for how what you were calling folk Catholicism was 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 practiced. Not you, you sp specifically W, but right, how, yeah, yeah. how other people. But I like something like what Owen Davies he just says, like it's this is popular european spirituality like I just that's what <laughs> yeah. it is yeah and you know and and if i there's a few things and one and that's why you know earlier when i said is it's really just crystal paganism it's because for it to be a folk thing usually there has to be a, a long cultural history again if that's how you express your spirituality beautiful but to me i'm looking for tradition if, if it meets that terminology but another thing too it's it's like you know you're you're nona who would pray the saint michael prayer over you to cure the evil eye would she call herself a witch? Would she call herself a magician? Would she call herself a folk Catholic? Probably just called herself a Catholic. Yeah. Your abuela who did the egg limpias with the whispered Hail Mary prayer, would she right. have called herself a witch or a magician? Maybe. Would she call herself a folk Catholic? Probably just the Catholic. So there, there's a lot of magic inherent in Catholicism, and you don't have to be you know, a, a church-going person to enjoy it. Um, but there is just, there's so much beauty and mystery kind of inherence in, in Catholicism as it is. Definitely. Yeah. A term I mentioned earlier was, and this is a huge part of both folk Catholicism and Catholicism in general, is the BVM or the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, from us reading the Bible, it's just like, oh, there's just Jesus' mother Mary, the Virgin Mary. But then you take a little closer look, you have Stella Maris, you have the Virgin of Guadalupe, you've got um, the um, Our Lady of Fatima, you have the Our Lady of Lourdes. You've, there's yeah. so many of them. Why is this so important and, and why are there so many? Um, so there are some that were specific apparitions. Marian apparitions actually happen all of the time yeah. there was one this year um you don't hear you don't hear about a lot of them because the church doesn't confirm all of them uh, but they happen all the time 
Um, so some of the, the BVMs that you mentioned are you know, specific apparitions in which Mary came and gave a certain message. Um, so Our Lady of Guadalupe is one. Um, you know, her message was, you know, am I not here? I who am your mother, right? The people were being invaded and colonized and the people were in trouble. And Mary was reassuring I'm with you. And then also you have um, Our Lady of Lourdes. She appeared in a town that essentially was having a drought and gave them water. Fatima had three secrets and that's a whole other. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so those are some. But then you have things like, you know, Our Lady of Sorrows, Our Lady of Prompt to the Core, Our Lady of Good Help. And how I really um, kind of describe that, it's actually an analogy with Hinduism. So in Hinduism, you have Brahman, right? That is the main god. But when Brahman is creating, he is called Brahma. When Brahman is destroying, he's called Shiva. When Brahma is sustaining, he's called Vishnu. And you could take that even further. When God is removing obstacles, he's Ganesha. And it's kind of similar. There is one Mary, but when Mary is, you know, removing sorrows, she's the Our Lady of Sorrows. When you're calling upon Mary to heal you, she can be called Our Lady of Good Health. So technically, you can just pray to one Mary, but um, these prayers, if you believe in any kind of egregore, these ancient prayers do have power. Yeah, there's there's just a lot of beauty around it too. And something that's lost a lot in Catholicism as well is the visual meditation aspects of prayer. Um, you look at praying the mysteries of the rosary. Well, it, in the mysteries of the rosary, if you're not familiar, there are different scenes from the Bible you reflect on. And early church fathers said, you know, you need to put yourself at the wedding at Cana, at the cross, and talk to the people around you, get messages from them. So there was always this visualization aspect that assisted you in spirituality. So again, you know, when I am sad and I need assistance, well, yeah, I can just pray to Mary as Mary, or I can really meditate and reflect on Our Lady of Sorrows or Mary Comforter of the Afflicted. Um, even if it's the imagery, um, aesthetics are very important in spirituality because they bring our mind closer to the divine, closer to God. And I think um, all saints, you know, having an icon is going to assist, but especially if there's a certain aspect of Mary you can you can look into. Amazing. That's really well put there, W, with the uh, just the aspects of the the, yeah. the the figure itself. That's that's fantastic. So we've been talking for about an hour here. I know some people are like yes, yes, yes. We've Benedict and all, that, all of these things, but let's let's actually dive in a little bit to talk about some specific saints. And uh, W and I will go back and forth here. We'll do about three or four of of saints that at least I really enjoy. I've done Patreon episodes about Saint Cyprian of Antioch. Um, sign up to Patreon if you want to hear about Cyprian of Antioch a little bit, kind of on Saint Christopher tied in with a Herb Anubis episode. Anyways, let's go through uh, let's go through some saints. So uh, why don't why don't you kick it off and uh, who who are we going to sure. talk about first? Sure, let's talk about Saint Rita. Right, Rita. Okay. Um, so Rita, um, I think 14th century. She prayed that her sons would find God, and then they died. So, so I, don't, I don't I don't think that's what she meant. Um, but now that they were dead, she could finally fulfill her dream of becoming a nun. However, the monastery didn't want her to join because she previously was married and had kids. Um, so she prayed to her patron saint, which was John the Baptist, who appeared and helped her walk through walls to enter the gated monastery. She also had the stigmata but it was just the crown of thorns. And here's where we get gross and morbid. 
Um, it said that maggots would crawl in and out of her wounds on her head, and she called them her little angels and little friends. Whoa. And all, all sorts of miracles are attributed to uh, St. Rita. She's the patron of, of domestic abuse because she was in a, a, an abusive relationship. Uh, but she's really, um, she's considered one of the most active saints out there. Uh, a lot of cool, gross lore surrounding Rita. Nice. Love it. Perfect. All right. I'm going to go for one. Uh, this is one that both W and I really uh, enjoy. It is St. Philomena. So allow me to lay a bit of a story here. It is 1802 in the catacombs of St. Priscilla in Rome. They found bones, bones of a 12 year old girl, as well as a vial of dried blood on the tomb or the catacombs themselves. There was a strange inscription on some of these tiles. It said, Mena. Pax Day Comfy, which mean nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But if you rearrange the words themselves, it could be Pax Day Comfy Lumena, which means peace be with you, Philomena. So this tiles also had uh, had images of three arrows, a scourge, which is a really devastating kind of whip, as well as a palm branch and a lily, which are mm, considered to be symbols of martyrdom and virginity, as well as an anchor. For some reason, there's just an anchor there. Anyways, what happened is that in 1805, uh, the bones were moved to a, um, a church. I'm trying to remember the name of the church, but it was near Naples. And so uh, the, the relics themselves of St. Philomena were, they were put into a statue. And then that's when the miracles started happening. So there were tons of things that happened in this town that were said to have happened because of St. Philomena. In 1823, oil started secreting uh, from the statue itself. There were these stories of about three different people. They had visions of how St. Philomena became a martyr. And uh, so three different stories. They all tend to sync up for the most part. But they say that she was a Greek princess. They said that she was going to get married to somebody. Some One of these somebodies could even be Diocletian, who if you study saints, Diocletian's name will come up a ton. It has to do with persecution anyways. But uh, somebody wanted to marry Philomena. She said no. And then she was uh, she was murdered as a 12 year old basically uh, in 1834 she was canonized europe went crazy for saint philomena and yeah it it kind of made the church a little bit uneasy for the most part as we said like uh sometimes the uh the saints they get taken off the calendar and philomena was in 1961 but uh i love saint philomena she's she's kind of a bit of spooky she's kind of a little pretty ghostly there's the images of her very big eyes huge huge eyes and uh, kind of spectral she looks a little bit like a like a goth in a way but but wearing white but uh yeah her feast day is august 11th and i just love saint philomena she's she's one of my favorites what I love about St. Philomena too is, so she was just a, she was just a bag of bones, right? And yeah. the miracles, miracles happened. Um, so you think the church would kind of be a little suspicious and they were at first, uh, but St. Philomena has had veneration by these heavy hitter saints. Um, St. Jean Vianney had a great devotion to St. Philomena and he's yeah. kind of a, a hard nosed snobby saint, I think two or three popes as well. So it's always fascinating that this saint figure that was really just a bunch of relics still had devotion by, you know, heavy hitting saints and, and religious figures. Love her. Who, who do you have next? Oh man, I have a whole list. Uh, we've <laughs> talked about, we've, we've talked about St. Benedict a decent bit. Uh, I, I want to talk about his medal, but as a rundown, um, St. Benedict was a hermit. Well, there's a lot. He 
essentially dropped out of university to live in a cave and be a hermit. His sister was also a saint, Saint Scholastica, uh, but he was a hermit and the monasteries wanted him to um, take over and be their abbot. So he finally obliged and he was known for miracles before he became um, the abbot, uh, but people didn't like how he was running things. So they poisoned him. And the first time they poisoned him was with his wine and he does the sign of the cross over the wine and the wine shatters, saving him. Uh, there was another attempt where they try to poison his bread and a crow or a raven uh, comes down and it, it takes the, the bread away. Um, so you often see him with a glass of wine and a raven. But what I really like about him is the St. Benedict medal. So this is probably the closest thing to sigils to an extent. <laughs> yep. I guess the cross, I guess the cross would be. Um, it's the closest thing to sigils you could probably find in Christianity. Um, his medal alone, which you can Google it right now. I like the Jubilee version because it's red and blue. You don't see a lot of medals um, have color on them. Uh, but his medal is used in exorcisms and it has is it like, God be my guide, the devil will never get behind me, Satan. It's all in Latin. So yeah, that symbol alone is is used in exorcisms. They'll put it over the possessed person. Like I said earlier, burying four St. Benedict medals in your yard. It's it's really powerful. And another thing of, of working with the saints that you'll get into, it has hoodoo leanings and it's um, this, this thing of hot versus cold saints, right? Like some saints are more approachable, some saints aren't. Some saints, you know, if you don't give them an offering after, it's fine. Some, you need to give them their offering or your house will burn down or something. And I don't really always buy into it because there's always conflicting stories. Like St. Peter is a cold saint right. in Italy. He's a hot saint in New Orleans. But St. Benedict is uh, is kind of depicted as a, I would say, a warm saint. He's very strict. He was known for creating order. Uh, but for me, he, he's a very calming, um, steadying presence. Like when I feel overwhelmed. Um, he's he's really helpful. But definitely the St. Benedict Medal is something that I recommend all magic practitioners have on their altar or something because it's just a really, really cool, cool looking medal. I have them on my house keys. I've had it for yeah, 12 years. Yeah. And uh, there you go. Yeah, I'm wearing one and I have a, a giant one on my altar. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not a magical a magical talisman. Wink, <laughs> wink, nudge, nudge. But yeah, no, it, it totally yeah, it's, is. <laughs> it's not a magical talisman, but priests will say bury four blessed ones in your right life. yeah exactly i mean that's not it's not all priests but some of the more woo-woo priests will say that isn't part of it the the exorcism itself is like you you're asking the devil to drink his own poison like drink yes. your own poison devil. Um, i love that that's hardcore yeah yeah drink the poison get behind me satan's uh drink the poison yourself yeah and that yeah. goes back to when he was poisoned as well yeah Exactly. Ah, yeah. St. Benedict, the medal as well. Very cool. And yeah, it's just really well designed. It looks, it looks cool. I'm just going to say from the moment you see it, you're like, oh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Medals are another one of those things where you can have in your mind the idea of talismans and, um, and grigris and things like this. And, but St. Medals, everybody look them up. They're very, very cool. My, uh, my next pick are going to be, it's going to be a twofer. It is, and they're always put together. It'd be Cosmos and Damien. So they're doctors. They're kind of known. There's hospitals that have Cosmos and Damien's name there. Uh, they were twins from Syria. They were martyred 
there's so many stories about how they were martyred. And a lot of these people have stories like Philomena to go back to her, like people tried to shoot arrows at her and they turned around and they hit the soldiers that fired. Like the stories of how these, uh, these people were martyred. There's tons of them. They were thrown into the sea and then angels uh, saved Cosmos and Damien. Anyways, very interesting stories that surround Cosmos and Damien. One of them is that there was a, a Jewish noblewoman who, uh, who had cancer and then uh, Cosmos and Damien, they prescribed for her to eat pork which uh, if you're Jewish, not cool. And uh, she said, no, I'm not going to do this. And uh, she got sicker and sicker and she was about to die. And then she said, finally, I'm all okay. I'll eat the pork. Uh, she hid it from her husband and it cured her. And she, uh, she, she uh, converted to, uh, to Christianity right after. So that's a story. There's a story of them prescribing, uh, taking some of Cosmos's pubic hair and then burning it and then drinking it in water. Apparently a cure it as well. Very odd saints. There's probably some crossover between Cosmos and Danian and Castor and Pollux, who uh, make up the constellation Gemini. So there's a bit of a astrology crossover there for people. Uh, as far as veneration, people put uh, you know, Milagros on their on their altars, particularly if uh, if you want to have a child for fertility, it is in the shape of a phallus. Pharmacies, hospitals named after them, as I said, uh, offerings of spoons, uh, because you use spoon to give medicine to little children. Apparently, they're also very good for small children as well, and uh, giving offerings to orphanages. But uh, yeah, their feast day is coming up. It's on September 26th, which is also the feast day of Cyprian of Antioch, who, um, sorry, I'm not going to talk about today, but uh, too much. But uh, yes, September's a busy feast day month. It is. It is. We have Padre Pio, we have Cyprian, we have... What used to be Saint Michael, Saint Michael, Michaelmas, right. um, but now it's now it's all three archangels in one day. So yes, yeah, it's, it's a busy, busy time of year for the saints right now. I, I have my calendar right here. Simon of the Desert on the first. Uh, you got Saint Nicholas of Myrna on the tenth. Oh man, uh, Hildegard of Bingen on the seventeenth. Nice. Uh, Saint Joseph on the eighteenth. Thecla on the twenty-third, and yes, yeah, Saint Michael on the twenty-ninth. Holy crap! It is a busy month. I love it. Yeah, so I'm really, by the way, I'm really not sharing my my go-to or favorites. I'm sharing the ones that I think are the coolest stories. Definitely. Uh, so um, St. Moses the Black, though, is is a favorite. Okay. Um, he was a, also called St. Moses the Ethiopian, St. Moses the Robber. He is a desert father. He was a freed Ethiopian slave, and he essentially ran a crime syndicate oh. of thieves in the desert. Uh, yeah, and they nice. would go and rob all the farmers. However, eventually hey. all of, right, why not? Eventually all the farmers, you know, they, they caught on to what was going on. So they all like set a trap um, to catch Moses and his gang. So they were all waiting on the other side of the river with, I don't know, I don't know what the weapons were, swords, pitchforks, whatever, right. torches. Uh, so they were all waiting. So he was, he was swimming across the river, saw them all waiting and he ran. They saw them and then he was chased out of the city and he just was in the wilderness and eventually he came across a monastery um he took refuge there and eventually converted so there's there's a lot of cool stuff about his story um namely battling demons like many of the other desert fathers he goes to the top of the monastery and sees basically spiritual warfare angels and demons fighting in the sky um but a really cool you know story with him just especially you know that dramatic scene uh, which I'll be doing an episode eventually, just of him being chased and eventually finding a monastery. And also a really, he's one of those saints, again, where, you know, his patronages are are likely, you know, uh, repentant thieves and monastics. But, you know, if you look at his life, you know, he he asked for forgiveness. He was a martyr as well. He, he died protecting the, the monastery once it was invaded. 
there's a lot of things you can take personally from his story too, which I think is great. Amazing. Love it. All right. I'm, uh, I'm going to hit you with my last one here. I'm going to talk about St. Martha. Now, everybody knows if I say Saint and Dragon, people will be like, ah, St. George, St. George and the Dragon, because we all know about that story. Well, I say my favorite Dragon Saint, because there's actually quite a few of them. Dragon Saint is Martha of Bethany. So she is the sister of Lazarus and Mary of Bethany. Uh, she was also a friend of Jesus who uh, at one point rewards her with resurrecting her brother Lazarus after being dead for four days. She also appears in the Gnostic Gospel, the Pistis Sophia. Uh, the big story, the reason that she's kind of considered a dragon saint is that uh, she was in, somehow she made her way to France, and she was in a town called Tarascon, and this town was being terrorized by a dragon. It was eating people, it was eating livestock, it was terrifying. The descriptions of this, this dragon, uh, which is called a Terrascu, which the town is now named after the dragon, obviously. It was terrorizing this town. Martha comes up and she's like, hey, I can do something about this. They're like, no, you can't. Just a little girl doesn't doesn't even matter. She walks up to this dragon. She takes off her girl and she puts it around the dragon's neck. And the dragon is basically a pet of hers. So uh, yeah, so she could calm the dragon. And then when she took it into town, she's like, look, I I caught the dragon and he's all friendly. The townspeople went, no, and killed the dragon. They killed it right in front of her. How? Because they're just townspeople and yes, revenge, all of that kind of stuff. Anyways, I love saint martha um her feast day is june 4th so just missed it but uh another reason that i love martha is because um she was very popular in the 12th century and from the 12th century onward something kind of happens with martha where she has this dark side called martha the dominator which is the regressive uh, aspect of martha um yeah martha the dominator but if you look at pictures of saint martha a lot of the pictures will have her with the dragon there's like either like a little dragon like a puppy or it's on a leash or something like that martha the dominator is depicted with a jug of holy water a bible and a torch and the reasons for this is because um well i hate to break it to everybody but the reason that there's no dragons anymore in the world is because Martha killed them all. Martha the Dominator killed every one of the dragons. Um, but yeah, very interesting. I'm not going to get too much into Martha the Dominator because there will be a Patreon episode about her a bit more because she's uh, she's just incredible. But uh, yeah, I love St. Martha as well as Martha the Dominator, just um, the best. Yeah, you have that a lot uh, with, with saints having alternate personalities. Not a lot, but it happens more often than you think. You have St. Martha the Dominator, um, you have uh, St. Martin of Tours becoming San Martin Caballero yes. in uh, Mexican folk magic, who's basically St. Martin on a horse. Yep. Um, there's a lot of horseshoe uh, folk magic tied in with that. Um, a little known one that I, I don't hear talked about often is St. Paul. Um, St. Paul Tarantula, St. Paul Tarantula. So yes. apparently when St. Paul was exiled, he um, was worshipped as a god. and He had powers that he could turn into a spider there's a lot there yeah. it's really weird um so i haven't really gone fully down that rabbit hole but yeah you have these alternate personalities that that i really like with saints hit, hit us with a final one i know you've got you've got a whole list of them but leave us with another really good one. Oh man a really really good one so this is a simple one but i think if you are i'm trying to reignite St. John the Baptist in the magical community right now everyone's talking about Cyprian all the time right St. John the Baptist though is and nothing against Cyprian, I love Cyprian, but John the Baptist is just inherently magical. Yes. I just did a series on him and like I kind of mentioned before, uh, he was seen as another Messiah. He was seen with just 
with similar magical powers as Christ. His baptisms could really cleanse you, really invigorate you. Um, but then also, you know, he lived in the wilderness and ate bugs. I mean, he's, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they want this divine figure that's wild and feral, and they don't really see that in Christianity. But St. John the Baptist was right there. He lived off of bugs and honey. Um, he called, you know, the corrupt officials broods of vipers. Yes. Um, you know, he was he was just an incredible guy. And um, he's also one of those saints that has such a mystical history. Um, medieval times, there's lore of St. John the Baptist's uh, decapitated head appearing as a ghost to haunt corrupt kings. You know, there's there's medieval healing where you um, drink uh, a drink of St. John's work and stare at a picture of his uh, decapitated head to cure headaches. So there's just so much lore around St. John the Baptist. And, you know, he's one of my patrons, so he's definitely a favorite. And like I get into in my series on him, the, the Bible does downplay him a bit. And it's because he had a very, very large cult and it was competing with with Jesus. I mean, spoiler alert, the Knights Templar and some of these current, uh, the Freemasons, they have St. John the Baptist as their patron because some of them even believe he's on the same caliber. Um, so really fascinating saint, and you really have to dig deeper into um, some more Gnostic text and um, non-biblical text to kind of learn more about him. Google Johannite conspiracy as well, and you get a whole bunch of stuff yep. that comes up as well. Yeah, there's there's definitely also because St. John's was beheaded. Uh, yeah, you have some some little uh, little bit of matching there with headlessness, which is an Egyptian concept of, that is very tied in with Greco-Egyptian magic, like the kind of stuff you can find in the PGM. Yeah, and in my opinion, St. John's Eve, 23rd June, is the most magical day of the year for me. That's like that's my magical that's my magical Christmas, and it has been for a long period of time. So, I'm a huge fan of St. John. Yeah, the best. The best. Let's tack this on here. Some people will notice there's some weird stuff that goes on with saints. Uh, you, you might see pictures of saints holding their own head or eyes. Uh, saints with the head of a dog. What's going on with these headless and dog saints? Yeah, so um, the headless headless saints holding their eyes, uh, usually that is depiction of how they died. So the headless saint I'm thinking you're speaking of will be St. Dennis, yeah. who um, he was because I think there's a couple. Oh, yeah. Um, so he was beheaded while preaching. And it said that uh, he picked his head back up and continued preaching for like six more miles. Then yeah. he died. Yeah. Um, I have a saint card of him that is hilarious. Nice. Uh, because the dude's just holding his own head. Like I, we said, where St. Lucy has a plate of her own eyeballs. Uh, St. Bartholomew was skinned alive, so he's holding his own skin. The dog-headed saint is interesting. That's actually St. Christopher. Um, and there's a lot of you know, the same St. Christopher we were talking about, the patron saint of travelers. And there's a few theories on why. Um, kind of the, the agreed upon theory, it was a poor translation of the city he was from, which was translated like dog-headed people. However, there's another theory that I like, uh, which is basically he was a, um, a descendant of the Nephilim, which were a human-demon hybrid. Right. Um, so those were a class of people that existed. I get into that on my Dean's episode podcast. So he was a member of those, and that's why he had a grotesque appearance. But 
yeah, there's a lot of a lot of fun things about Christopher with a dog head. I've got one as well where, and this is just a theory, please people, this is just my pet theory and I use pet as a bit of a pun, but Christopher was a Roman soldier and a particular certain regiment of Roman soldier that would have been around at the time where uh, Christopher would have been, quote quote unquote, again, he has been kind of taken off the calendar. They would wear wolf heads. The Roman soldiers Mm. would wear wolf heads as, um, yeah, part of their uh, regalia. Anyways, interesting stuff, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I lo- anyways, pet theory. Again, nobody, don't put any validity into it. I might write a book. Definitely not writing a book about it. Um, let's get into <laughs> the big stuff here. So this is what your podcast is about for the most part is how do saints and magic intersect? And in what ways can folks these days begin interacting with saints in a functional magical context? So I, I do think that, you know, saints are inherently magical. And my podcast, it's it's interesting because not every saint has this big folk history, right? Like St. Peter, you know, he has a lot about using his, using two skeleton keys to cross out bad luck, but then others just don't have any of that. It's just, just say a prayer. And that's because inherently, you know, the saints are kind of magical. So incorporating them into your practice, um, I've mentioned the word novena a lot in this episode. And novena is a nine day traditional candle prayer. Um, That actually does kind of have pagan roots to an extent um, it was typically a nine-day candle um, for loved ones, deceased loved ones. And there's arguments that it was probably nine days for, for feasts of pagan gods as well. And the church basically said, yeah, you can do this for your loved ones and martyrs and saints. But it's a nine-day candle prayer. You've probably seen them. You know, They have various saint pictures on them. And essentially, um, you can light one of those and find you a novena prayer and just pray the prayer the full nine days. And within a traditional novena prayer, there's a space where you state your intention. And it can really be that simple. And honestly, a lot of the novenas I do are, are that simple. But you'll see a lot of folk practitioners and folk Catholics and traditional Catholics, uh, they'll do things like they'll dress the candle with herbs. So if I am um, you know, doing a novena to St. Michael for protection, I might put black pepper and red pepper in the candle to dress it with some... St. Michael fiery wall protection oil or just olive oil. And then the other kind of folksy practice is daily and come through offerings. So a daily offering can be something simple, water, wine, bread, but usually during the novena, you make some kind of promise. If you come through for me, I will blank. And that actually is, is fairly traditional, but it's more emphasized in, you know, more folk magic. And essentially um, that can be anything, you know, St. Expedite is known for if he comes through, you give him pound cake, St. Anthony likes, you know, wine and cigars. Uh, but what I've found is usually more spiritual. You know, the saints want you to get closer to God, get closer to the divine. So your come through offering should be maybe, you know, community service or going to mass with your grandma again, praying a rosary. Um, I do a lot of donations to charity. Yeah. So that can also be a good come through offering. So I think novenas are, are the, the heart of it. And there's a lot more ways you can make that folksy. You can decorate your altar in certain ways. You can also add on to it. For instance, um, St. Benedict, he, he is the one who created the Liturgy of the Hours with the Psalms. So my through, for my first novena with him, I promised him every night I would sit at my altar and memorize a psalm you know, in front of the altar while the candle burns. Um, so there's ways you can make it fun. Also disposing of the, the candle, you can do that in fun ways. With St. Joseph, sometimes people will... Uh, leave the novena candle at a statue, public statue with um, keys or something. Um, so there's a lot of things. So the novena, I think, is the heart of it. Uh, but as I talk about podcasts too, there's some non-novena things as well. Um, you know, for instance, um, like I've talked about a few times, St. Peter, 
using two skeleton keys in a letter to St. Peter saying, you know, you want to lock somebody up or you want to unlock an opportunity, putting the two keys over the piece of paper and lighting the candle. St. Lucy is used often in divination. And that can be something as simple as lighting a candle um, to her with a saint card or a novena candle and a whatever candle and just praying to her to help you in, in divination because she's the light bearer. She can shed light on situations. But I think most of all, it's, it's just getting to know the saints, reading about them, uh, seeing what speaks to you and um, seeing how you're moved to incorporate them in your practice. hundred percent. Yeah. And again, it, it's not all just novenas. Novenas are a, a wonderful way of interacting, but man, I love feast days. Feast days are great oh, yeah. to have like this food and magic together. Like that's, there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing for me that like ticks more of the boxes and there's so much more. I, Put a list of questions to uh, W before the show began, and uh, he had made some comments on the side. And it's just like, yeah, we, we could literally have you back, and we can go through the magic that one can talk about as far as saints. But luckily, everybody listening, guess what? There's a podcast for that. It's called Saint Anthony's Talk. Please give it a listen, and it is really wonderful. Um, I have to ask a personal question here, W. Why did you want to start a podcast about this? Yeah, so I think a lot of it was me. Like I said earlier, it was me kind of reconnecting with my heritage, uh, but also I'm one of those people that I learn by presenting as well. So through my spiritual journey as well, you know, researching saints, um, researching various aspects of Catholicism, folk Catholicism, magic, it also really forced me to jump into my spirituality. Uh, but again, it's it's you know, there's just so much inherent magic with the saints, with Catholicism, not only magic. You know, it's not always wanting things. And I think right now we're, we're seeing a lot of people almost, you know, commodify the saints to an extent, you know, they're just tools to get stuff. And that's part of it. That's part of their role. But if you really start looking at the saints lives and you start a practice, just praying to the saint every day, um, something interesting happens. And it's essentially, there's an element of surrender and there's an element of you feeling protection. So um, it's also been a way to kind of enhance my spirituality as well. Amazing. So we're, we're going to wrap it up here. We'll have to have you back on the show at some point in the next uh, the next year or so, but uh, to just like actually dig into ways of doing magic with, with saints. But this is something that I, I might catch a bit of flack for, but um, from my studies and from what I've done and research and looking into is, um, I'm just going to put this question to you, but would you agree with this assessment that for the large swath of history over the last 2000 years the cult of the saints is pretty much the de facto popular magic of of europe i will i'll get more flack because i'll take it a step further and sure. i will say i think the more magical elements of catholicism has been the de facto magical practice of europe uh, because yes you have the saints and i think saints are the core of it because i mean as we're seeing today People love the saints, even though they're not Catholic, even though they're not Christian. So yes, absolutely. But also if you start looking at things like the rosary, the rosary was presented to St. Dominic by the Virgin Mary herself. And a lot of people don't know this, I get into it in my rosary episode, but the rosary was presented with certain promises. If you pray for this, pray this every day, you know, you will have the entire celestial army at your feet. Anything you ask for, I will grant it for you within reason. So the rosary alone, was intended to be a magical tool. And like I said earlier, there was an element of meditation and conversation you're supposed to have. Early Christians, especially in Europe, there was a lot of a lot more hands-on aspects of deliverance and exercising demons and cleansing. Um, there's still, you know, deliverance prayers were used by the laity today. Uh, but 
especially if you were, you know, the head of a household, quote unquote, it was your job to spiritually cleanse the home. So yeah, I think the saints definitely have that, that forefront, but then also just the magical elements of Catholicism that yes, some grew from paganism. I definitely think that that was the heart of, of magic in Europe for, for many, many centuries. And what's so interesting for me as somebody who loves history is that you it's very region specific. If you go to places like Ireland, which is it, it's got its problems with Catholicism, definitely, and a lot of really awful things. I don't want to talk too much about it, but the way in which saints were, were utilized in Ireland is entirely yeah. different than the way it was in Germany the way it was obviously in Northern Italy, in Spain. It's, it's so unbelievable. <laughs> We've barely talked about Eastern Orthodox. It's just right. like, oh my God. Like, like it's incredible. And, and I, I, again, I don't like using the term folk uh, too much, not unless people have that little asterisk beside it, but this was the popular magic. Some things happened with the, uh, with the Reformation, of course, but you can even look at certain aspects, particularly of a place like, like England, which I know a lot of people tend to take their cues from. And a lot of people have this kind of strange fairy faith that yeah. was occurring, but that also mixed in with the saints. And a lot of them were, they said they were Protestant, mm -hmm. but they were, they were folk Catholics for the most part. Still. Yeah. And, and, and I get into a lot of this. So if you are looking for a starting place, in my podcast, there's an episode called um, Reconstruction. And it's uh, something like reconstructing Catholic magic and mysticism. I do recommend that as a starting place because that was kind of a turning point in, in my content. Uh, but I talk about that quite often because, like I said before, the early church was kind of separate, you know, village by village. And a lot of those villages believed in, you know, tree spirits and, you know, various other spirits that would just walk around. And then the Council of Trent kind of sort of said, no, everything is an angel or everything is a demon with a couple asterisks and nuances right. there because it wasn't necessarily, it was said, but people still believed it. And that's why you still have a lot of that animistic and paganism stuff that, that combine. So yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. I just want people to know that, that particularly a way to think about saints is that it is an allowance for a monotheistic church group to be able to continue having magic within their religion. That witches who got away with it is a good way of thinking about it. I think magic is real. I've seen it's real in my life. I think it has a true history. And the way in which this, this church or this institution could somehow allow it was within something like the cult of the saints and relics and, and all of the stuff that I find incredibly necro- fascinating about the cult of the saints itself and these are as peter brown who wrote a book called the cult of the saints uh, these are the very special dead so it always has that tie to to death that uh that i love and yet saints and their stories and their names are hewn into our lives they are the names of our streets buildings and so much more so if you want to study the saints you want to look into them it can certainly add context as well as history and a certain kind of mythology and stories to your life. And by adding these things, you widen your understanding of the world that you live in. And I'm just going to speak uh, more on this. This process does not end at saints. In North America and pretty much every part of the world, which we would consider Christian, um, the places where you live... And they have names that existed before 
Christianity came there, before there was colonization of any kind. So you also need to learn these names and these stories as well. And a lot of the times they're going to be from First Nations and Indigenous cultures, as well as older, beautiful European cultures and traditions. So you need to know these two. It all goes together and they're all important and it adds to the tapestry that are our lives and where we are situated and where we call home. Now, it might not be the most pleasant tapestry for the most part, but it is a tapestry nonetheless. One can run away from it or they can make it better by facing it. But there's always work to do. As for the cult of the saints, I love it to death. I've been obsessed with it and I don't think that will ever go away. How, how about yourself? Do you think that just one day you'll be like, ah, I'm done with saints? Uh, not at all. And, and that's, that's what you're going to find, dear listener, once you start exploring the saints, you're going to want you know, a saint statue for every saint you like. What I do too, the come through offering that I said before, a good come through offering is, you know, I'll buy a statue for you. But yeah, and, and, you know, for me, I do have my, my core patrons that, you know, they all represent something I need in my life. So career, health, uh, family protection, but, you know, every now and then, you know, some, somebody pops up like, you know, St. Therese of Lisieux, um, St. John of the Cross is a huge inspiration to me, at least theologically. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, they're always going to come up and it's, it's never going to stop. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for dropping by the podcast. Tell us about St. Anthony's tongue. Why, why St. Anthony's tongue? I have to ask why, why did, what did you choose uh, the name St. Anthony's tongue? Sure. So you, you kind of alluded to it during the relic section. Um, so St. Anthony um, of Padua was a very notable and famous preacher. And it was interesting because earlier when we were talking about the Franciscans, uh, the Franciscans weren't necessarily known for being um, preachers. Uh, the Dominicans were the order of preachers. Uh, but St. Anthony was an incredible preacher. Um, it said that he, when no one would listen to him, he preached to, to the ocean and all of the, the dolphins and the sea the lions sharks, popped the sharks, up. Yeah. The sharks. Yeah. Um, so he was known for that. And when he died, his body decomposed except for his jaw and his tongue um so that was a sign in his vocal cords so that was a sign that he um he was a powerful preacher and speaker and he was divine so that is where i got the podcast also you know i'm, I'm a, i have an Anto italian ancestry and saint anthony's very important there and also if you look up saint anthony's tongue image of the relic it's just one of the most fucking spooky relics yeah. you'll see uh it looks like they have two holes in the back so it looks like eyes and the tongue it's it's creepy and i liked it um, so yeah, that was that was the namesake, and everyone keeps asking me when I'm going to do a St. Anthony episode, uh, but it's uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be sometime because that's going to be a big one because he's another one like Francis, right? Like Francis is the birdbath saint. Oh, St. Anthony is the dude we, we just pray to when we need to find stuff. Uh, but St. Anthony is one of the wonder workers of the church. I mean, he has so many miracles attributed to him, an incredible story. But yeah, so that's where this the name came from was the the relic, the spooky relic. I love it. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And as soon as somebody said that there was um, a podcast about saints, and they put the name up, and I was like, oh, this is gonna. I I think I'm probably going to enjoy this. Um, what's the direction you're going to head with the podcast? Are you just going to keep doing? You had a man for people that like this podcast. You have a two part about demons that was just amazing. It was a two parter. Two part. Yeah, it was uh, two episodes about demons. Fantastic. Is there some kind of direction you're trying to take the show? Is or is it just more of uh, just so, banging out what's what's going on with the saints? Yeah. Right. So initially when I started, it became, it was just about the saints and it was my, my views and my spirituality was not front and center. 
Um, it was a cool story about the saint and how they're used anthropologically and culturally. Um, however, I started doing Q&A episodes and that's when people would ask me theological questions. And yeah, my answers were, were things that assisted them in you know, understanding some of the problems they've had with Christianity, which was likely and often evangelical Protestantism, not Catholicism. Right. Um, so that's when I started doing episodes on, as you mentioned, um, well, I did one on hell, uh, deconstructing hell and kind of the more universalist views that the early church fathers had. Um, the demon series was a lot of fun. Uh, we talk about kind of the early traditions, how the early church viewed demons, but then also kind of some some myths as well. Like many people, uh, lay people can do things to get rid of demons. Um, people just don't know that. So yeah, there's there's definitely some some topics that I like discussing that are kind of in the reconstruction, deconstructing aspect. Also the magical aspect, uh, we've done some psalm episodes. We're going to do one on divination in the Bible, uh, tarot, all that fun stuff. Uh, but yeah, but the heart and soul is, is always, always the saint stories. Um, for October, uh, we're just going to do a whole bunch of spooky saints um, the whole month. So nice. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. I love it. And do you also have a Patreon? Do you want to tell folks uh, what they can get if they sign up for, for your Patreon? Sure. Uh, yeah. So patreon.com slash Anthony's Tongue. And um, there's three tiers. Um, you get early access um, as well as bonus content. I, I post just about every day some bonus episodes. We just did a we did a meditation series on the rosary. We're still doing a series on kind of underrated protector saints. Usually, when you think of protective saints, you think of you know Joseph, Michael, but I have like Therese, um, Saint Moses, Saint Rita, and then also then the next tier is uh, you get tarot readings as well as early access. And then the final, you get a monthly gift. They just received um, some blessed salt that I did get a priest bless. I'm lucky to have a priest that will bless whatever I put in front of him. Nice. For the most part, no question. Handy, asked. very uh, handy. And, and he uses, well, he uses the old school blessing ritual where you like exercise the salt. Nice. Um, so they got blessed salt in a St. Joseph prayer card. Uh, I also do sometimes do mystery boxes, which is just like a whole bunch of spooky Catholic shit that I found in you know antique shops. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really fun. We have a great community there and there's always, always stuff because what happens is I research, I research for this podcast, only so many things can go in an hour episode. So all of the layover stuff will go on the Patreon. Fantastic. And where can people find St. Anthony's tongue? You can just search St. Anthony's tongue, wherever you get your podcasts, so Spotify, Apple podcasts, anchor more. Wonderful. I love this podcast. It's it's fantastic. I, I was kind of shocked because there was there's a couple of podcasts that kind of do saints and it's like, oh, okay, but there's not really anything that kind of like hit the nail on the head. And I've been listening to podcasts since geez, since since they first came out. I remember I remember the very first podcast and they were hurting and there's nothing like St. Anthony's tongue. It's exactly for those of you who want to involve saints and some kind of uh, Catholicism uh, in your magic. There is no better podcast out there. And I, I really love what you do. It's so well produced. The stories are fantastic. And please keep going because it's it's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I will have links to all of W and St. Anthony's Tongue's uh, content out there on the show notes, which can be found at whatmagicisthis.com. Also on whatmagicisthis.com, there'll be some show notes. My goodness, there's going to be some pretty awesome show notes here as well as books that if this kind of thing like saints is fascinating to you, you have to check them out. So those show notes are available at whatmagicisthis.com. Also there, you can find a link to my Twitter account, my Instagram account, as well as my Facebook account. I'm pretty active on 
on Twitter, not so much on Instagram and Facebook. There you go. Reasons. Who knows? Doesn't, eh, whatever. Doesn't matter. But uh, yes, Twitter for the most part is where uh, I put up some funny things and some cool things and some cute things. Anyways, Twitter's fun when people aren't yelling at each other for the most part. Anyways, do you enjoy the show? Why not tell a friend about it? And then they'll tell a friend and then they'll tell a friend. And that's how a whole chain of what magic is this love gets started. So if you could tell a friend that you love this show, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, if they're weird like you, chances are they will. And I've got a new fan. Booyah. Great stuff. If you enjoy the podcast, also leave a review for me on iTunes or uh, Stitcher or Spotify. I think they have star click things, but for the most part, Apple podcasts would be appreciated. I think that's uh, iTunes. I don't think they do the the stuff. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, head to Apple podcasts, uh, put in a little review for me there. It would be greatly appreciated. You don't have to write a whole essay. Just basically say, I enjoy the show. Um, Doug's the best. Just say you enjoy the show. That would be greatly appreciated because people do read those. And then, um, yeah, they'll maybe listen to the podcast uh, on the recommendation, on your recommendation. You can get me another fan and that would be, uh, that would be also appreciated. Do you think that what I'm doing with What Magic Is This is kind of important or special or you just want to support me in some way? Well, now you can. Three ways of doing that. Two ways are the really good. The last way is it's a little bit different, but it's also supporting the show. So let's go through all three. First is the best. That is Patreon. That is patreon.com slash what magic is this. Man, I put up a whole bunch of content on there Things like videos to audio episodes about Goetia and grimoires and um, certain saints and entities and gods. It's amazing. I love my Patreon content. It is the best. Uh, I think that that is my best work that is on there. As much as I love these podcast episodes that are for the general public, the good stuff is on Patreon. Also, if you sign up to Patreon, you can get access to a Discord server, which you can uh, you can pester me at any time of the day. And uh, I shall answer you. You also have some of my former guests, as well as, you know, just people starting out with magic. It's it's all a lovely group. Everybody's so nice to each other there. I have I've, I haven't had to ban anybody ever. It's been great. So, uh, yes, that is also part of the Patreon. Anyways, I will just say this. I love the Patreon. It's only seven dollars a month. That's all I'm asking. You either support the show or you do not. I do not have a ton of tears. So if you think I'm doing something cool, patreon.com slash what magic is this is the best way of supporting me. I want to see you on there. So much great stuff to listen to and to watch and to take part in. So that's my pitch for that. If you don't want to do the whole signing up and giving money every month and you just want to throw me some cash, best way of doing that is through PayPal. Head to whatmagicisthis.com. Any number of PayPal me links that are there, just basically um, click on any one of those things. They'll have a little thing that says donate money and you can from $5 to $10 to $20 to $2,000 to $200,000 million dollars. That might be the highest number I've ever, anyways, doesn't matter. It's not even a real number <laughs> or it, maybe it is. I don't know. I'm terrible at math. Always have been. Numbers just like enter into my brain and turn into diarrhea. Anyways, doesn't matter. But PayPal is another way of supporting the show. Unfortunately, you do not get access to all the lovely goodies that exist on the Patreon. That's why I want to see you on the Patreon. It's only seven bucks. There you go. That's nothing. That is like the price of a mediocre picture frame. It is the price of a throw pillow with a picture of a snake on it. It is the price of a um, cup of cocoa with gold flake on top of it. Is that even a thing? I doubt it, but uh, you never know. 
people are doing weird things with gold these days in the culinary world. It's like it's we're just like we're back in the 80s. We're just throwing gold leaf on everything. <laughs> wow, I don't know what has gotten into me today. Doesn't matter. Anyways, yes, that's a way of supporting the show. $7 a month. That's the Patreon. Also PayPal. The last way is showing your support. So I have a merch store. Head to whatmagicisthis.com. Click on menu, find merchandise. I've got shirts, mugs, stickers, tote bags. My God, the tote bags are awesome. They're so great. They look so good. I was like, what? It's, I try to buy all of my own stuff just to see how the quality is. And when the tote bag arrived, I was like, oh man, I might have to order five more of these. I'm my best customer, which is kind of sad. <laughs> Anyways, doesn't matter. If you want all of these things, there's so much stuff there. There's... There's so much. It's all great. I do the logos for the most part. A couple of them have been designed by other folks. It's great. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see a ton of money from those. But if you want to wear a shirt and maybe people will be like, ah, what magic is this? You'll be like, hey, it's a podcast. Listen to it. And uh, hopefully they will. That'd be great. But uh, yes, three ways of supporting the show. But the way that the place, the, the, the can't talk, uh, the way that I would love to see you support the show would be through Patreon. That is by far the best way. But all of these things that I've been talking about over the last seven, eight minutes are available at whatmagicisthis.com. W, let's, let's bring you back on in, in a year or so. We'll, we'll have you back on. We'll get you back into the days of St. Cyprian. We'll talk about how to do Saint-based magic and, and some more of this focus Catholicism magic because I've just had a wonderful time today. Yeah, this has been great. I'd love to come back. Thanks so much. Amazing. So that's the show, everybody. Those are saints. And this is just an introduction. Oh, my gosh. We're talking about 2000 years of, of stories and tradition and really crazy, spooky shit, as well as just some fantastic stuff. And my goodness, um, there's so many places for, for people to go. But uh, the place I want everybody to go is St. Anthony's Tongue podcast because it's, it's so wonderful. That's the show. All right, everybody. Come on back. We'll talk about more of this uh, wondrous, levitating, headless, sometimes dog-headed stuff that we like to call magic and the occult. Until next time, I want everybody to stay healthy, stay hopeful, and stay luminous. We will talk at you soon. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Ta-ta. -bye.